Well, we're in a summer series on the fruit of the Spirit found in uh, Galatians 5.22. You should know these fruit by heart. And as I uh, read this brief passage, 5.22 through 23, you might say them with me. We come today to the fruit of generosity. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. The word of the Lord. Well, I've been interim pastor here since April 1st, and that's about four months now, which seems to be flying by, and I've enjoyed it. I started out, I'm not going anywhere, but I just, I've enjoyed it. I started out by um, asking the leadership in the church one question. What do you think are the most significant issues facing this church right now in its history? Now, I did that by taking the session to breakfast and lunch, three of them on one of me, so there's four of us at a table, and I took notes uh, from all of those small group meetings and in in some cases uh, wrote down quotes. I also asked all of the staff, uh, as I interviewed them separately to get to know them, same question, what do you think are significant issues in the life of this church? I asked the the deacons as a whole that question, and and then I prepared a report for the session um, of my listening, what I had heard. But I I went out also to uh, Westminster Canterbury, one of our retirement communities, and I went out to Cedarfield, had lunch in both places. I asked them the same question. I thought of that generation, what do you think is the most important, significant issues facing life for the church? And one lady rose to the occasion and said with a strong voice, we need a church bus. I looked over at Mary Kay and I thought, okay, how, how are you going to get that? <laughs> and I admired her forthrightness and her clarity. I mean, uh, there was, I didn't have to ask her again. And I don't know why I said this. It's not like me because I, I'm a systems guy. I work with a session closely and, and we do everything together. Um, but I said to her, um, she might be here this morning. I said, um, gosh, uh, church our size doesn't have a bus? I mean, I not really paid attention to the parking lot. I just got here, and I thought, you, you're a pretty big church. You don't have a bus? No, nope, we don't have a bus. We need a bus. And I thought, you know, I could die in here. Um, <laughs> these people are getting hot. And uh, so I don't know why I said it, but I said, uh, well, I, you know, yeah, I'm going to get you a bus. Yeah. How, how much does a bus cost? <laughs> um, I, you know, I knew I was kidding, but I don't think they knew I was kidding. And Mary Kay on the way out said, uh, you know, this has been several years now. We've been talking about a bus and you just promised them a bus. <laughs> and I said, yep. Uh, I could just see my paycheck flying out the window. Well, I gave my session report, and I had about 20 quotes without names attached of just things that I thought were interesting that people said. So I threw in the bus quote because I just thought it was unique. You know, that here's some of the things your people think are important. 
And so I put the bus thing in, and then I said, you know, basically, I, um, I promised them I'd get them a bus. And the session had a real nervous laugh, you know, like, <laughs> And uh, so we kind of joked our way through it and moved on through the meeting. And uh, then at the end of the meeting, one of the elders uh, raised his hand and very quietly said, um, I've got the buses. I mean, you need more than one. And, and we were all stunned. I, I, I turned and I said, uh, what, 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 what do you mean I've got the buses? And he very quietly repeated himself and he says, I've got the buses. The session broke out in applause. We, somebody moved to adjourn before he changed his mind. <laughs> I love the way your session works. And I still don't know the details of what it means. I've got the buses. They left me out of all the details, I think, to make me sweat it out. But last Sunday, two buses and a van pulled up, chartered. We're going to do that for 10 weeks. Uh, You've read the material. We're going to charter them for two weeks, uh, 10 days, to see, you know, if people use them before we move in to purchase 17 of our members uh, were on those buses in the van, and the choir went out and met them when the buses arrived, and I think they sang a little ditty to them, something, and then helped them come into the sanctuary and welcomed them back into church. During Lemonade on the Lawn, one lady came to me, and she said, "Uh, Steve, you don't know me. I've been out at Westminster Canterbury. I just wanted to tell you how great Lemonade on the Lawn is, and I I want to thank the church because this is the first time I've been able to come to church in over three years. Yeah. Isn't that good? On each one of those buses was an ambassador for the church, and we give you opportunity to do that. I think that'd be a cool job, is that you go in the morning, and you're the greeter, and welcome them, and help them on the bus, and help them off the bus, and just the chit-chat and fellowship on the way to church. And so every bus has an ambassador. All this is acts of generosity. That's why I mention it. Just the phrase, I've got the buses, is the fruit of generosity. And the ambassadors who are signing up to to honor our fathers and our mothers, this is generosity. And the fruit just keeps multiplying. Generosity is like throwing a boulder into a pond. And the ripple effects of that boulder go on for years and years and years to come. The, The good news is we have our folks coming to church and our buses. The bad news is none of you now have an excuse for not being here. (laughs) Christians all the way back to Jesus have always been generous. They've been known for it. It's in the Bible, their generosity contributing so that no one has a need. And all of that is because we are like little mirrors. And what we do is reflect the image of God into the world. So it's not my generosity. It's not even that elder's generosity that got those buses or those generous people who woke up early to get dressed, to be in the lobby. They're very generous to even use the buses. 
But it's the generosity of God that reflects reflects off of us into the world. A world that desperately, desperately needs this generosity of God. And this generosity is not uh, calculated. It's not doled out in little pinches. It's not based on a tax deduction. How much tax deduction do I need and then let me be generous? That's, That's not it. The sole motive of Christian generosity is gratitude to God. That's it. Adam Hamilton's a Methodist minister out in Kansas, has a large mega church, writes a lot of uh, books. And in one of his books, he tells the story of his camping trip with his family in the Grand Tetons on his birthday. And he gave each of his uh, young daughters $20 for three days, just some spending money at the canteen. One of his daughters went to the gift shop and on the first day she found a ball cap that cost $20 and she wanted it. And Adam tried to talk her out of it and said, look, you've only got $20 for three days. Don't spend it all on one thing in the first day. And she bought the cap. Later that day, they were taking a walk around one of the lakes. They found a place to watch the sunset. And Adam says his daughter, Rebecca, handed him that ball cap And she said, Daddy, I bought this for you for your birthday. I love you. Happy birthday. Now, the reason he told the story was not to get sappy, but to say this is uncalculated generosity. This isn't a formula. This isn't a tenth of your income. This isn't uh, a chip, you know, off of a pile. This is love. This is gratitude. And is our generosity like hers? When you see this word generosity in the list of nine fruits, I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of is money. Are you generous with your money? You can be generous in a lot of ways. Time, social capital, uh, people are generous in a lot of different ways. But money is one of the more powerful ways we're generous because money is converted into other things. If you give a guy $20,000, he'll turn it into a car. And give you a car. If uh, you give somebody $100,000 in money, they'll convert it into a a home. And you have a home. So money moves things around. It, it, It has magic to it. You can turn it into things. Change the landscape. Some people have more money than others. Most of us in this room have more money than a lot of people in the world have. And then, and those who don't have much money, often think that those who do have a lot of money, that we should be more generous. Those people should be more generous, which is convenient. If you have a lot of money, you should be more generous. Not me, you. And those who do have a lot of money can often feel nibbled to death by ducks with people who come to the door wanting your money. Whether it's your university or the museum or the church or the Boy Scouts or some charity. But when they know you have money and you're on that list in Richmond, then people are going to line up and want you to be generous. And people with money and assets can often feel used and manipulated. You don't really care about me. You're only being nice for the money. When Paul uses the word generosity, he provides no qualifiers on it. 
In other words, he doesn't say that a rich person should be more generous. Nor does he say that poor people are exempt from being generous. He simply says the spirit of God is generous and it dwells within you whether you're rich or whether you're, you are poor. And it's not limited to your money. Years ago, I uh, was invited to conduct a chapel service for a nursing home in Norfolk. And the residents were classified as uh, below poverty level and their care was heavily subsidized in this nursing facility. They came in the dining room for chapel and they were in wheelchairs and rolling in on cots and they had walkers and canes and oxygen bottles and hearing aids and all the rest. The world's uh, aging wounded were coming for worship. I don't remember what I preached on and neither do they. Um, It wasn't all that spectacular. Uh, I don't remember what we sang. I don't remember the prayers, but I do remember this. I went and stood at the back door to greet these good people as they were escorted back to their rooms. And each of them had their own story, their own memories, their own lives. And near the end of the line, there was a a beautiful African-American woman in her robe and uh, bedroom slippers. She shuffled up to me, bent over with age. She grasped my hand, and in the palm of her hand was a dollar bill, a single dollar bill folded up. It was her offering for worship. Now, I quickly said to her, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. We, um, we, we aren't taking an offering uh, today. And she looked at me and she said, well, then it's for you. Now, the jacket I had on cost hundreds of dollars. I drove to that place in a very nice automobile. I lived in a beautiful home in Larchmont in Norfolk. I belonged to a private golf club. I took wonderful vacations. I was an associate pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Norfolk down in Ghent, one of the prettiest parts of town. And there I stood with a dollar bill from a poor woman in a subsidized nursing home. Now, what was I going to do with that? If I tried to give it back to her, it would be condescending. Like, I don't need this. You need it more than I do. I I couldn't do that. I kept the dollar bill and I taped it in the back of my Bible. It's still there. That was 30 years ago. That dollar is there to remind me of the fruit of of generosity. Her body was decaying. I'm sure she's with Jesus now. But her heart was full of generosity, full of it. Here I was, a rich man, standing in a poor man's castle, and she gave me a dollar? She humbled me. She preached that day. I don't remember my sermon. None of them do. But 30 years later, I'm telling you her sermon. I remember her sermon, a dollar bill, a gift. She was the widow and this was her might. 
Generosity is like throwing a boulder into a pond and the ripple effects go on and on and on. Do you realize when you die, nobody's going to talk about your accomplishments much? They won't go through, well, he was a pastor of Myers Park, you know, whoop-de-doo. He was the interim, oh, this is big. He was the interim at First Church Richmond, Virginia. Where's that? Yeah. No. What we do at your funeral is tell stories about generosity. Yours. What we do at your funeral is talk about the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness that we saw in you. Nobody cares about your other stuff. Fifty years from now, nobody will remember your name. They'll forget you were even here. But 30 years later, I'm telling you a story about a woman I don't even know her name. About a dollar bill. That's the power of this fruit. You don't need an accountant to tell you how generous you can afford to be. You need an accountant to tell you how you can be more generous. How can I do more? Not just for my family ancestral worship, where I'm just taking care of my children, my grandchildren. How can I bless the world as God has so richly blessed me? How can I make a difference in this city, in my church, in, in, in the things that will go on and on and on, the ripple effect of a rock I'll throw in a pond, that there'll be no end to it, that 30 years from now, somebody will be talking about that act of generosity. How do I do that? How can I be like that nameless, beautiful woman in Norfolk, Virginia? John Wesley said, um, do all the good you can. By all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. See, the question is not how much are you going to give. And I'm not talking about the church budget right now. I'm going to hit you up in the fall on that. Hard. No, I'm not talking about that. But then again, I am. Because generosity knows no boundaries. It's not tied to a budget or a pledge card. It's a spirit that lives within your heart. It can't be calculated. It's not a formula. It's who you are. The generosity of God reflecting off you like a mirror in the world. How do you express your gratitude to God? That's the question. Not how much are you going to write on that check. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you express your gratitude to God? How do you go about doing that? Do you have a plan? Do you want to grow in your generosity in the same way you want to stay in shape, in the same way you want to read a book and become more intelligent? I want to be better at my job. Have you ever thought about being better at generosity? Like being better at golf or tennis? How are you growing in a generous spirit is the real question. And you know, I'm coming in a couple of weeks, I'll be at the end of this uh, series, and it occurs to me all of this fruit's becoming a fruit salad. Because generosity creates joy. 
They're tied together. Whenever we're generous, there's joy about that. We change somebody's life with our generosity. And it's joyous to be able to do that. And joy is an expression of love. And love perpetuates peace. And peace solicits kindness. And all of this is worth patiently waiting for in a world that belongs to a loving, joyous, peaceful, kind, patient, generous God. God make us more generous. For surely you have been extremely generous to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.